we're coming up to today's the last um, part of our little sort of three week series on how to handle the word of God. And so the last couple of weeks, if you've been here, uh, we've had Adai and Emmanuel have excellently led us uh, kind of through the word, looking at lots of different verses, kind of Old Testament, New Testament, looking at what the word of God says about itself. But how are we to approach scripture? How are we to read it? How are we to interpret it? It's been very, very helpful. We've looked at how the Old Testament is, um, is beautiful. The law of the Lord is good. It's perfect. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Some, some Christians, sometimes we say, well, don't read the Old Testament. It's a bit I'll go and I'll just stick with Jesus. And uh, hopefully, if you, if you missed it, go back to the podcast and listen to it. But we kind of debunked that one and said, no, all of the word of God is relevant for us today and the Holy Spirit will help us to, to read it and to make sense of it. And so we're just going to come and um, Natalie and myself are going to be doing a little bit of a tag team this morning. We're going to be covering two different sets of verses but before we do that I just wanted to mention um, a few little things. I've got about four or five micro points, four or five small little things. I just want to make sure that we understand if you've not been here the last couple of weeks these are things that are helpful for you to just have in your kind of mind's eye as we're talking about stuff so I'm assuming you've heard the other one so if you haven't this is kind of a little bit of a catch up on a couple of little points so the, the reason we've called this how to handle the word of God rather than how to read the word of God is because of a verse in 2 Timothy 2.15 it says this do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth rightly handling the word of truth so imagine that, you, great example, modern illustration, imagine that you work on a building site um, and you're a bricklayer and you have a trowel or you're a plasterer. Um, you have a tool that you're literally dependent on for your job. Day in, day out, hour after hour, you know how to rightly handle that, handle that trowel. I've actually been looking a lot on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen those new little, they're like Instagram stories, like on TikTok. They're like 20, 30 second little videos that pop up again and again and again and again. And I've been looking at garden makeovers and somehow, because I've watched a few of the same ones, it then recommends more and more and more and more. And I'm just starting to see hours and hours of content, before I know it, of people basically laying brick walls. Um, Literally laying walls straight and all that sort of stuff. How to put the, I think they call it muck, how to put the muck on the bricks, line it in, tap it with the trowel. And these guys, they make it look so easy. It's like they know how to rightly handle the trowel. They literally pick a brick up. Can you hold the microphone like here? So they pick a brick up with one hand and then they get the trowel and they go choo, 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 brick down onto the next one choo, 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 and then tap, tap, tap onto the next one. Guaranteed, if I was doing that in our back garden, it would take me about half an hour to do one brick and it would be all wonky and there'd be all mucks down the, down the side of the wall. But these guys know how to rightly handle the tool that they've been given for the job. And that's what it says here, the word of God, the word of truth, is something that we can rightly or wrongly handle. Is that okay? We're okay with that? And so the word of God can be misused, it can be misapplied, it can be misinterpreted, but also if we know how to rightly handle it, it's going to do us good. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Do your best to present yourself to God as a workman, as one approved as a builder with his trowel, I can build the wall. I can read the word of God. And it says there, so that we won't be ashamed. So that when we stand before God, he'll say, you know what, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful wall builder. It's not a wonky wall, it's a straight wall. You know how to do the job, and you've done it right. And that's who we want to be in this day and age. 
The next verse I'd like to just think about very quickly is in 1 John where it says, In the beginning the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And it tells us that later on in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was full of grace and truth. And so the Word of God, literally Jesus, is the Word of God manifest, made flesh. Full of grace and truth. He's literally truth. So as we approach the Bible, have you got a Bible? Give us a little wave with your Bible if you've got one or your phone. Hopefully you've got one here this morning. Yeah. Maybe the person sitting next to you has got one. This is literally Jesus. The words of Jesus. Revealing the heart and the nature and the character of God. The the eternal, unchanging word of God. The truth of the eternal kingdom of God made known through the King of God. The the king of the kingdom, sorry, who came and made known this eternal kingdom. We live in a day and age where truth is redefined every generation. It feels like at the moment every five minutes. What's true one day is not true the next. What I believe to be true, my kids don't. And then our children's children, they'll they'll have challenges in the next coming generations, if we're blessed enough to see them, of ever-changing truth. The world's truth. Whereas we see Jesus makes known an eternal kingdom, an unchanging truth that's actually been manifest, it's been made known. The Word became flesh, incarnate, like chili con carne, made of meat. The Word became meat. That's what it means. The carne bit is meat. The Word became meat. We are mostly water, but we're meat, aren't we? We're big meat sacks walking around. But Jesus became flesh. The Word of God, the truth of the kingdom of heaven, made known amongst us. So we can feel it and touch it and get to know it. And the, the Holy Spirit, we'll see in a minute, has been made manifest to us so that we can know Jesus. We can know this God-man who's not made flesh to us right now. We can't touch him, but we can experience him. We can get to know him. We can spend time with him. And I did a great job explaining that to us a, few, a, few, uh, a couple of weeks ago. In John 16, verse 13, this for me is like probably a main point of the little points. When the Spirit of Truth comes, so it's talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus talking to his disciples. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he doesn't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So he's someone who's hearing the truth from a different place and he's going to speak it and declare it to us today. In every generation, okay? He will glorify me. So this is Jesus saying, this spirit that's going to come, the spirit of truth that's proclaiming the kingdom of God, is going to glorify Jesus, for he will take what is Jesus's and declare it to us. Declare it to you, it says. All that the Father has is mine. So Jesus is saying, all that the Father, the high king of heaven has, is Jesus's. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So there is a... Is that a fire alarm? No. Someone's fallen down in the toilet, probably. Oh dear. It might be a good idea just for someone to check. Just, I don't know if there are alarms in there, but... I don't know. But the Holy Spirit loves the Word of God. He loves the truth of God. Get your Bible again, give it a little wave. The Holy Spirit loves this word. He will not contradict that word. He inspired that word. 
All of scripture, Emmanuel told us, is God-breathed, inspired by the Spirit of God through multiple authors, through multiple generations. None of it is wasted words. That means it's all truth or it's no truth. We either embrace all of it, but we don't pick and choose the bits that we like and the bits that we don't like. It's all truth. And we conform to it. He won't contradict it. He'll illuminate it. He'll bring it to life. Because he's making known what the Father is, is like in heaven. And Jesus is saying, this is my truth, and he will declare it to you. And so as we read that Bible that you've got in your hand, we say, Holy Spirit, would you help me to understand it? Holy Spirit, would you bring it to life? Holy Spirit, help me to obey it. Help me to apply it in my life. It's not a head exercise. It's a heart exercise, and it's also an action exercise. It requires us to put things into practice. The Bible is 66 different books. 66 different letters and books, all, all different types. It's like a little library. They're not all written by the same people in an earthly sense, but they're all inspired by the same author in a heavenly sense. And all of these books are different. Have you ever read a, a child's storybook? Jonathan and Teresa might be doing a bit more of that than they, they used to, perhaps. Like the Gruffalo. Would you read the Gruffalo the same as you would read someone's PhD thesis on nuclear biology or something like that you wouldn't would you no it would be quite silly you wouldn't read song lyrics in the same way you would read a doctor's report would you Um, it's like that with the word of God there are lots of different types of literature there's poetic narrative there's wisdom literature there's historical records there are letters to churches there are literal eyewitness gospel accounts of the life of Jesus There's apocalyptic writings like Revelation and Daniel that we somehow try and make sense of. But you wouldn't read those in the same way. You don't read them in the same way. You need the gift of interpretation. How do I make sense of some of this stuff? Some of it's very factual and literal, like whole genealogies of people's birth lines to prove the birth line of Jesus, the tribes of Israel and all the people that were sired by different people. And then you've got some crazy stuff, talking about beasts and women and fires upon the earth and you know, kind of end of days. and that, you don't, It all needs to be read slightly differently. And for that, we need the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 19, verse 7, like Emmanuel shared with us a, a couple of weeks, or well, last week, it says that the law of the Lord is perfect. And he's talking about the first five books of the Bible, but it's basically saying that the Old Testament is perfect. Those first, well, the Pentateuch, those first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, think it is they're perfect and we've got obviously the whole canon of scripture i think the whole thing carries on that the law of the lord is good jesus affirms the old testament he fulfilled it so we're not just new testament christians in that regard all of the old testament is pointing to jesus and it shows us god's dealing with people right from the beginning all the way through to the new testament era and then actually we've then got the the, the lived testimony of generations before us and even ourselves as like living letters of the glory of God what he's doing in your life and our lives it's a beautiful thing and so I just want us to hold that in kind of in our thinking as Natalie comes up she's going to share from Romans 15 I think Lewis she's going to pop it up on the screen put your hands together for Natalie so Romans 15 verse 4 it says this whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
Isn't that encouraging? And one thing that Gordon's mentioned about the Bible is a lot of books, we've got letters, all put together. When it was put together, most of it was not designed to be sat and read in our individual rooms. Most people would go to the synagogue and hear it read collectively. And I think this verse brings it out really clearly because it talks about we and our. The word of God is to be shared with all of us. It's for collective reading so that we can all get instruction, we can all get endurance and we can all get encouragement from the scriptures that we all might have hope. Going back to the beginning of that verse, whatever was written in former days, what are the former days? For us it's like yesterday and further back. For the people that were actually reading this or having this read to them in Rome, it was for the days really before Jesus. So that means everything in the Old Testament they knew and they heard of, everything that has been written in former days is written for our instruction. It's written to inform us, to correct us, to teach us, to help us grow into understanding. And as it's an instruction, you know, I work in a school, you can give the kids an instruction, same at home or anywhere else. If you give someone an instruction at work or in any other place, what do you expect them to do? You expect them to follow it, but... There are loads of people that don't, aren't there? It's just like, and does it end up better for them or worse? It ends up worse. Thanks, one person agrees with me. (laughs) It ends up worse for them. It certainly does in a school setting. We give someone instruction, they they disobey it, and then it gets even heavier for them. Do we see the word of God like that? It says the scriptures are written for our instruction. It's not a good idea. It's not what fitted best for that time. It is to be applied to your life. So when you read it, you should feel convicted sometimes. You should feel encouraged sometimes. You should feel like, oh, I didn't know that before sometimes. And it's important not just saying, oh, yeah, that's very nice. I've done my Bible reading. Now I'm going off with life. Something should be changing in our heart or in our head when we read the scriptures, when we read the word of God. Because that's how we live the best life. Because all of this, this verse tells us, it leads to hope. If we apply the word of God to our lives, even if we don't understand it, even if we don't agree with it sometimes, sometimes we can read it and go, I don't think like that. Then do you know what? God wrote that. Is he going to change? No, so maybe I should. And that's not an easy thing. But if we have got enough faith in God, then we'll do it. We've got to trust him with it. Because he wants the best life for us. And sometimes the way we're going isn't the best. So the next bit says, It's written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. We've got to do a bit of hard work. We've got to endure, we've got to persevere, we've got to keep on going, even when stuff's tough. Put one foot in front of the other. And the great thing is that if we look at the former days, even if we look back in our own lives, we can see God working. But if we look then into the word of God, it doesn't matter what you're going through. If you're really successful in life and you feel like you're winning, if you feel like you're losing life and it's all falling apart, you will find a story in this Bible that relates to your situation, guaranteed. Because in this, it says there is nothing new under the sun. You might think that this is a very unique situation in your life. There's nothing new under the sun. Read the Bible, find someone that you can relate to and then start applying it to your life. That is how you endure and that is how you get encouragement. Isn't it encouraging that you're not going to come up against anything in life 
that hasn't been lived before. Don't you find that encouraging? Because that means we can learn from other people's wisdom, other people's experience, whether they're friends or family with you, or, or whether it's from the Word of God. You can learn, you can read it. I love reading Hebrews 11. Oh, if I'm having a down day, read Hebrews 11. It's, a, it's got a whole list of people from the Old Testament, and it says that God remembers them for their faith. And I read it, and I think, oh, that character is a bit dodgy. I know what he was up to. Oh, that woman, you really? She was known for her faith? And then you can think, well, I must be doing all right, because Jesus' death has wiped away all of our sin. It's wiped away everything. That's not what God remembers about you. He remembers what you're demonstrating of your faith. So what are you demonstrating? Or is there something stirring and you think, actually, I've got to have faith for this this morning. God's reminding me that I haven't broken through in that area. And I need to find that encouragement in the scriptures and collectively with people around me to give me encouragement to carry on. Because that's what it says in this verse, the encouragement of the scriptures. Encourages us to change. Inspires us to keep going. We should be expectant people. We win in the end. That's the story of the Bible. If we believe in Jesus, we're on the winning's team. doesn't matter what life throws at us. We can see God move, and we've heard testimonies for the last three weeks at least of people being healed physically, a mental breakthrough, and people recognising their identity. Isn't that encouraging? That's what's happened in the former days, because it hasn't happened right now, this second. It's happened previously, and we can get worked up and encouraged and inspired by that, as well as all the stuff in the scriptures. And why do we pray for healing? Because the Bible tells us to. And we've seen Jesus do it. And he says we can do even more. We can do even more than that. Isn't that exciting? We can have hope. That's why we bother with this. That's why we bother about applying the Bible to our lives. That's why we bother with persevering and we bother with encouragement. Because at the end of the day, we can have hope. When we look around this world, we can see a lot of people that lack hope. We shouldn't be those that lack hope. We always have something to hold on to. We have a great wealth of scripture to look to, to give us hope. And we can use each other. The Bible was, well, when the Israelites were reading it, they wouldn't read it on their own, like we said. They'd read it out loud in the synagogues and they'd discuss it. If you think, if you only ever went to the synagogue once, twice, three times a week, you'd have to meditate on the word, wouldn't you? Because otherwise you'd forget it. You'd have to talk about it with your friends and family. Do you do that? Do you have people that you can get together with and talk about the scriptures with? Because you will find instruction and you will find encouragement as you do that. We're meant to be working in community with one another. That's why this verse says, it's written for our instruction, that we might have hope. So we can do each other good by encouraging each other with the word of God. So that's what I really want you to hold on to really this morning. Just think about, are you actually using the Word of God as a a book of instructions? Or do you think, oh, I don't really agree with that bit, that doesn't really fit with my lifestyle, I won't do that bit. That's not his forward, why don't you trust God and see what he can do with and through you. Endurance, that's a hard one, because life does get us down. But if we collectively read the Word of God and we discuss it and meditate together, we do that as a family pray about it every day Um, it does us good, it helps us to keep going and sometimes we've been reading it and we're going, oh yeah, sorry kids, I did that but that's okay because it's about us learning and us correcting even ourselves because the encouragement is that through the scriptures we can have hope Brilliant, well done love, Um, that's very loud and so 
one of the things I just wanted to say was because Natalie had mentioned about how we really we want to try and make this really practical. So when we're saying we don't deal with this on our own, like what does it look like for you as a family? But you know, like there's that verse that says, "As for me and my household, we will follow the Lord." Um, what does that look like for you? I, I would hope it looks like that the Word of God is central in your household. That you think about it, you talk about it, you contemplate it. Like you see here, it's not just... Uh, can you pop that verse back up for us? Sorry, please. That it's not just you on your own with Jesus and your quiet time, and that's your faith. Um, that, that's like an incredibly new thing. You, you wind back much before the sort of 60s, maybe 50s. Um, that is a, the faith that we see in the New Testament church. That's not the faith that we see in the Coptic church. Um, it's not the, church, uh, the faith that we see in the New Testament. What we see is a communal faith, a household of faith. We see it in Acts 2 that they were in the synagogues together and they were in the households together, sharing food, talking about the Word of God, enjoying the life of faith together. It's not just me and Jesus. Jesus loves us, but he loves all of us. It's a communal thing. Look at the plurality, our. It was written for our instruction that we might have hope. This is to be enjoyed together. It's a family of faith. And so we need to somehow try and figure that out in our day and age when everything else is pushing us into our own little experience where it's me in the car or me in the bedroom for the 10 minutes before um, I go to bed. You know, like that, that's where culture pushes us. I'm just so busy that I can't engage with other people. Like if you're gathered around the Word of God and you're putting it into life, you're soon going to read verses that say, meet with other people, outwork your faith with other people part of the household of faith you haven't got to read very far before you hear that and you think well, what am I going to do about that am I going to fall in line with that or am I going to pick and choose about what I want to give my life to the next verse Louis if you could go to that one that would be great just a quick verse in Joshua I'm just going to read this out and then I've got a couple of little questions and I'm just going to ask you kind of on we won't do a, a like around groups we'll just do it en masse so this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth so it's talking here about the Pentateuch again the first five books of the Bible but this book of the law will not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Who wants to be prosperous? One or two of you? Yeah? Who wants to have good success? Yeah? Cut the hands. Yeah? I'll put both hands up for that. I want to be successful. I want to be prosperous. How do I get there? According to God, I don't let the law of the Lord depart from my mouth. I don't let it depart from my mind because I'm meditating on it day and night. It's written, so it means I've got to look at it and I've got to read it. So this is an all of life experience. What, what can you see here? Just think, thinking out loud, shout out a few things. What strikes you? First things that you see, what have you got to do with the word of, of God from these verses? Just shout out where you're at. Two or three. Meditate on it. So we've got to think about it. There's verses like, be still and know that I'm God. We meditate. We just sit there and we think about the character and nature of God. With meditation, if you're a Buddhist, it's about emptying yourself. About focusing on nothing to get clarity and peace. As Christians, when we meditate, we focus on the character and nature of God. We fill ourselves with God. So we're not emptying ourselves to be filled with something else. We're literally filling ourselves with God. We're, we're emptying ourselves of the distractions and we're saying, Jesus, I'm magnifying you. Magnify the Lord, oh my soul. That's what meditation as a Christian looks like. Contemplating, thinking of, remembering the things that God's done. Like Natalie's verse, 
Everything that's been written before is for our instruction. Think of those things. Think of how God dealt with Moses or with Abraham or the people of Israel. These are all for us to know and experience the character and nation of God. What else do we, could we do from here? What else is there that we might do? Speak it. Speak it. Yeah, yeah. Proclaim. Testify. They overcome the enemy, the evil one, by the, by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. There's something about speaking the truth of God, speaking about what God has done in your life. Are you in a running partners group? Do you meet with other people and talk about the word of God? What's God doing in your life? Are you, are you just trying to outwork your faith on your own? Often we grow cold. The smallest, I think we covered this on Thursday night for those who were there, but the smallest indivisible number in the New Testament is two. Jesus tells people to go out in pairs, he ministers to people in pairs, he he never gets people to deal with people one-on-one. Because we need one another. It's interesting, even in the art, two by two, because of the thing of procreation, when there's two, there's multiplication. Uh, when there's one, it's often, you know, we, we struggle. Has anyone ever struggled for a time in their life when it's just them? Just them and God? I've found that. It's really hard. There are seasons when we have to go through that. It's the, the reality of life sometimes. But we can't stay there. We can't live there. It's a dangerous place to be. We're told that there's an enemy that prowls around looking for ones on the edges so he can pick them off. So, you know those wonderful wildlife programs where you see a lovely herd of gazelle or something or buffalo going through the, the, the plains and then there's a lion or a cheetah just running around and then they push one out, pick them off. Boom, dead. Gone. And the enemy's like that. He's crafty. He wants to take us out. And we think, I'll be all right. It's me and Jesus. Jesus says, don't give up meeting with one another. Because that's the safest place to be. Be in relationship, be in community with people. Because we can talk about the word of God. That's what we try and do around the table. Particularly when we're hitting challenges and situations. Like we've had a situation and everything in us made us want to shrink back. And we thought, no, no, actually, how do we operate in grace? How do we move in the opposite spirit? And so we thought, well, that's for us and our house. We're going to follow the Lord. Let's move in the opposite spirit. Let's not shrink back. Let's not hold back. Let's move in faith. And that's informed by the Word of God. But if we're not gathering around the Word of God, if we're not reading the Word of God, if we're not hearing the Word of God, if we're not sharing and talking about the Word of God, we're not going to be aware of these things. In the Old Testament, the last good king of Israel, Josiah, King Josiah, he'd been entrusted to be the king of Israel and he inherited a kingdom that was far from God. Even the priests didn't know about the Word of God. They found a dusty old book out in a back room and said, oh, look what we found. We found the law of the Lord of God. And Josiah repented. He called the nation to repentance and said, we've been leading this nation in a godless direction. Isn't that similar to our generation? We live in a society that is godless and it's headed in a way that's leading to disaster. And it needs a people to say, look, we're going to be serious about the word of God. Because we recognise that by applying it to our lives, we're not just shrinking back or taking the bits that we like, we're rejecting the bits that either we don't like or society doesn't like, that, like that's going to do us good. That's going to lead us into a pit. And so it requires a people to say, as for me and my house, whether it makes me popular or not, whether it makes me successful in the eyes of world, the eyes or not, we're going to follow the Lord. And to find the people of God that are going to do the same and, and rally around with them, so that you've got people, so it's not just you on your own trying to act like a battering ram against culture and society, but you've got people that you can meet with and pray with that can hold you up, pray with you, so that together we would be successful and fruitful so the world would look on and say... I'm not sure why they're living like that, but I can see it as a grace of God in a way that we have never experienced. We should be a signpost of the blessing of the Lord in that we're living in freedom. Complete freedom. That there's nothing that controls us. There's nothing that manipulates us. There's nothing that leads us into fear. That we have got complete freedom 
because we're ruled and governed by a different kingdom than the one that we see on the earth. Is that okay? So we meditate. What are the things that fill your mind? Like I've joked a couple of times, very intentionally, through the service, about football, football fixtures, football transfers. No one ever like, genuinely, you can get into a place where there's just this stuff. Go on at Twitter, refresh, refresh, refresh. What's on Facebook? Go and have a little look. What's going on on Love Island? I'm, I'm hoping there's no one that loves Love Island here. If there is, like, we've got to do some deep end ministry. But there's this stuff that people just can't get their mind beyond. It's like, I'm amazed at just the stuff that goes on. Like, people are like, oh, have you seen someone on telly? No. Like, I'm just genuinely not interested by it. What's the stuff that fills your thoughts? Do you meditate on the, on the word of the Lord? Are you in the word enough that it's reminding you in the morning, in the evening, that you're meditating? You're ch- like you can, have, you can have cheese and crackers and it's gone in a moment. Or you have a nice big bit of steak and you chew on it. And you chew on it. I love my steak medium rare. Anyone else medium rare? I like the juices. <laughs> blue. Was that blue did you say? Ribeye. Oh, yeah, I like a nice fillet. But, but you know when it's like we can't afford fillet but I like fillet if you want to buy me a fillet great but um, the thing of just chewing it over you know like it's like every ch- every ch- every chomp can I say every chomp every time you chomp your jaws down there's like this juicy flavour or richness that you savour it's like oh that's amazing and then another one and then another one it's beautiful the work, work law of the Lord should be like that to us, that we're chewing it over, we're meditating, we're thinking about our life, we're extracting all of the goodness out of it. We see here that it's written. Um, where is it? Yeah, all that is written in it. So that means that it's a written word that we approach and we read. So it's something we hear, something we talk about, something we think about, and it's also something we read. Um, there's a guy called Todd White. He's kind of a power evangelist, I guess you'd say. He uh, An amazing ministry in healing. Um, he's Seemingly one of the good guys. Often when you follow these guys, there's often something that pops up. This guy's been going for decades now, and seemingly he's, you know, I'd say, yeah, I, I, I endorse him from what I've seen so far. I think, yeah, great. And um, there's a very helpful thing that I once heard him say about how to read the Word of God, and I think it's taken from here. So just, when you read the Word of God, I don't know about you, do you ever find that you get distracted? Do you ever find that your mind races? Or there'll be the, the lawnmower next door, the neighbours arguing, the phone goes, bing, bing, you know, like another no, notification on WhatsApp. What, what he says he does is he sits down with his phone or with his Bible and then he puts his headphones in and he also listens to it as an audio book, like being read out. And he also, as he's reading it, he's speaking it out. And so he'd have his headphones in, he'd be listening to someone saying, and he'd be speaking, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And so it's like his, all of his senses when he's reading the word of God are caught up in what it is. He's reading it, he's seeing it, he's hearing it. I'm not saying you've got to do that, but I'm saying if you're distracted, I find it massively helpful. I thought this is a great way to try it. I've got a friend who uh, works on a building site. We actually helped to send him off to Mozambique. You might have seen Perry and Naomi. They're actually moving out to Mozambique now, which is crazy. We're going to try and get them over. But one of the things he found is on a building site, there's just so much going on, so many distractions. When he's on his lunch break, he, he does this. He puts his headphones in, he, he reads it, and he listens to it, and he speaks it out. And he just finds it blocks everything else out. It helps to centre him on the Word of God. If you're someone that when you approach the Word of God, you find you're massively distracted, give that a go. I genuinely think that you'll find it revolutionary. 
Like, that's a great place to start. Because often I, I feel really bad. I sit there and I try and read the Word of God. After half an hour, I think, I've barely read anything. I'm so distracted. My mind is so scattered. I'm not meditating on the Word. I'm thinking about all the other things in life, all the challenges or the events or the thing that's coming up next. So it's really helpful to centre ourselves on that. And then the next thing it says, you'll meditate on it. So you might be careful to do according to all that is written in it. To do. So there's something that we like that. He said, we have to put, like the rubber's got to hit the road. We've got to put things into action. We're not listening to it just because it's a nice idea. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commandment. So we've got to do stuff. So when the Bible says generosity and giving, we need to figure that out. When the Bible says about forgiveness or repentance, we've got to do it. These are things that if we don't do it, we don't live in the good of it. And then we find that actually those things, like we said earlier, become the things that we end up living in either fear of or they control us or they hold us back in different ways. So there's a sense of obedience-based discipleship. If you were to ask us what we're about as a church, I would say obedience-based discipleship. That we read the Word of God and we apply the Word of God. We're living in the good of what Jesus has told us to do. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my teaching. That's what he says to his disciples. Not if you love me, you'll pick and choose what you want to do. But if you love me, you will obey my teaching. And so for me as a father in my household, I say, look, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. When we've given money away to stuff, we talk about it. Because I think it's good for me to leave my family in that. And thankfully I've got a wife that really helps support me in that. We've got kids that are children of faith. They've seen God come through in that. But it means that the word of God needs to be brought into the household rather than it being a thing that we're all reading, hopefully separately on our own. It's something as a household we're coming under. And then also as households that we find that we're all in alignment. We all believe the same things. If you're not in alignment, if you don't believe the same things, then we're following a different God, aren't we? We're following a different Jesus. That, and that's the danger with the church. We see a divided church, don't we? On lots of issues. About gender, about marriage, about sin. And so it's really important that we are in unity, philosophically, theologically, relationally, practically, that we're aligned together. Otherwise we're just going in different directions. Doesn't mean we're all going to support children. Doesn't mean we're all going to support children, no. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And then just this last bit about the flourishing, the promise of God, is that as we give ourselves to this practice of meditating, listening, sharing, applying, living out the word of God, that we will come into a place of flourishing, of fruitfulness, that we will be a signpost of the kingdom of heaven. That's where I want to live. I don't know about you, I, I, I want to be blessed so the nations can be blessed. I want people to see something on our lives collectively, whether it's you in your house, whether it's you in your workplace, whether it's your street looking on, that they just see something of the kingdom of heaven resting upon you. And then they hear something, maybe the way you're talking in the back garden, of the kingdom of heaven, as you're talking as a family. This sort of resounds out the house, doesn't it? Like people notice that me and Lewis are Charlton supporters because we're talking about football, we're talking about signings. Every now and then we've got the kit on. And so it's to say, like, when we're going to go and watch a match or we've come back from a game, and people say, oh, I think they're football supporters. They often seem to be going back. And, and it should be the same with us as Christians. People at work hearing that you've been to church, 
you've heard the story of someone being healed from asthma. You've heard another story about someone getting a job that's been praying for a job for ages. These are the things that it should be on the tip of our tongue. We shouldn't be in fear about talking about Jesus. But I've been really encouraged. I saw a video of Ade in the streets up in London preaching the gospel over the weekend. She wouldn't tell you because she's too humble to do it. Literally preaching about the kingdom of heaven. It's on her lips. She's giving herself. She's falling in line with the word of God saying, that's for me and my husband and Emmanuel saying, we're going to follow the Lord. And that's the way they're feeling called. In some ways, there should be this radical thing that's costly in each of our lives as families. We become what we behold. And so if we're beholding the word of God, if we're beholding Jesus as the high king of heaven, the one from whom we get our plumb line, our bearings, our truth of what the world's about, our truth about everything like stewardship, resources, freedom, living, all this stuff. If we're following him, we're going to live in the good of that. But if we're not following that, and we're following other stuff, secular narratives, whatever it is, we're going to end up in the right old muddle, aren't we? In the right old pickle. And so God wants to bless us. And the way that he does it is through his word, through the Holy Spirit, and through one another. He's given us one another. Brothers and sisters, look around. Your brothers and sisters, the household of God, the family of God, you find Jesus in one another. Don't neglect that. Neglect it at your peril. Not because I'm going to do anything, but neglect it at your peril. Is that, is that okay to say that? Just as a warning. We, we, need, we need one another, we really do. Churches, we need one another in the town. We're not called to our work on our own. There's an enemy that wants to take us out. And I think we're coming into a day and age when that is going to get so difficult. To have any form of public faith, we are going to get shut down, squashed, silenced. It might even cost some of us our jobs, it might cost some of us our lives, or it will cost us our faith. So what are we going to follow? This is where really our theology gets tested above all things. What we really believe, when it's, when it's challenged and squashed and, and persecuted, it, it's really tested, isn't it? So can I just pray? Is that, oh, I want to pray. King Jesus, I thank you so much for your words. We thank you that you've given yourself to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that wants to illuminate truth in our lives so that we would flourish as a people. Lord, we recognise that we are recipients of your grace. We've not earned it. We've not won it. And Lord, we long for other people to hear this amazing life transforming truth. And we pray, Lord, that we would look like those who transform lives, living in the good, living in the freedom of what you want for us. That we wouldn't hold back in our day and age, but we would be living in such a beautiful way that it would reflect your kingdom kingdom reality, that the kingdom of heaven fleshed out now, that we would be like a thin place where people would see you reigning as the risen king there would be healing and testimonies and amazing miraculous provision, people on mission here, there and everywhere, souls being saved, people being baptised miracle babies being born Lord we pray for all that you want to do it's a beautiful thing our town needs you Lord Jesus, we need you and we say, Holy Spirit, would you move? Illuminate your word to us that we would dare to believe it and apply it and live in the good of it, we pray. Amen.